0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Buff Zone podcast. I'm Brian Howell and mixing it up this week because uh, it's Thanksgiving week so it's kind of weird and uh, you know Pat Rooney was traveling to Daytona with the men's basketball team with Thanksgiving and everything. It's been been weird. So Pat and I were not able to uh, get together for our uh, weekly podcast to preview this game but I am joined by Matt Smith my good buddy from 104.3 The Fan and uh, Matt thanks for joining me
1: oh i'm thrilled to join you
0: thanks for having me on
1: pat's absence is my game so i'm thrilled to be <laughs> here and i'm looking forward to talking some cu with you as always
0: yeah well we we've talked to you for a decade you know just off air you know right and you yeah know, we, i, I mean, don't know how many times we more than we, that
1: brian it's been almost 15 years now buddy <laughs> yeah it's,
0: it's been a while we we've talked to you for for a long time so and and yeah. you know i i've, I've been on your show on the fan, so it's only right that you're on my show now. I know, finally it right. took long enough. <laughs> and so we're going to preview this Utah game, which is a very weird game. Um, yeah. I, it's probably the hardest game of the year to project. I mean, the TCU game was probably the hardest one because nobody knew anything. But this might be the second hardest game to project because who knows who's going to play on either side of the of, uh, of the of the sidelines here? Because there's so many injuries for Utah. Uh, There's some very key injuries for Colorado, and we just don't know who's going to play. So it's going to be kind of a weird one.
1: It is going to be a weird one. I was actually just going through Utah's comments from this week and just catching up with everything because I've got my show in the morning and I'm hosting the morning show. So listen to this list of injuries for Utah because I'm sitting here going, well, you know, CU's banged up, right? They've got a few injuries here or there. Shadour's, you know, we don't know if he's going to play yet, but listen to this. Season-ending injuries, quarterback Cam Rising, tight end Brant Kooty, C- C- Keithy. 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 Tight end Thomas Yasmin, running back Chris Curry, running back Micah Bernard, wide receiver Micah Pittman, linebacker Lander Barton, defensive end Logan Fano. And then they were, it, it, just, it was just ruled out that uh, Jonah Ellis, their defensive end, who's been fantastic getting after the quarterback this year, he'll be out. It sounds like uh, Reed, their linebacker, carrying Reed, he'll be out. And then... They've got a starting safety, Cole Bishop. Sounds like he may play. So, I mean, you said it, Brian. I don't know who's going to play. And the, and the funniest part is, I'm sitting here and I'm going through all this, Brian. And you know, Utah is 23 and a half point favorites. And it's, like, it's like their entire starting lineup is out. That's how deep that team is. Just a testament to what Kyle Whittingham has built at Utah over the years.
0: Yeah, and and even beyond that, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's been reports this week that you know Bryson Barnes, who's been playing quarterback for them. Um, will not play on Saturday because he's either sick or injured. Nobody really knows, but Utah people are reporting that he might not even play this week. Wow. And yeah, I
1: heard they had some questions at quarterback. I knew that they were sick. Whittingham said on Monday that I guess they were dealing with a bit of a similar situation that the Buffs were up in Pullman. He said that they had a flu bug going around and maybe that was they didn't want to make excuses, but maybe that was part of the reason why they got mopped in Arizona. So interesting to keep an eye on for sure.
0: Yeah, and, you know, who knows? I mean, they've they've obviously been tricky with their quarterback situation in the past, you know, with Cam Rising, but it sounds like Barnes may not play. Nate Johnson, who has been their number two quarterback this year because Rising hasn't played all year, mm-hmm. has apparently left the team, so he's Ooh. not even with them. And you know, the Utah people I've talked to said that the starting quarterback on Saturday could be walk-on Luke Batari, uh, who has hey. never played a snap at the FBS level. So, I mean, he's their, he's been their fifth stringer, so... Um, that's you know, who Utah been there, are, right? Brian. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it's a little like, uh, you know, just one year ago when uh, Utah was here and Colorado yeah. started its fifth string quarterback. So, um, exactly. you know, and, and of course, as Buff fans know, um, there's no guarantee shador Sanders is going to play. And if anybody has been following the well off videos, um, he, ha- he did not practice Tuesday or Wednesday, they don't practice Monday, he didn't practice Tuesday or Wednesday, and uh, it was hard to I mean, you can't tell for sure on the one that was posted on, on Thursday evening where you and I are doing this Thanksgiving night, but um Shadour looked like he was in sweats and not practicing on Thursday either. So I don't think he's practiced all week. So it looks like it's probably gonna be Ryan Staub on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I noticed that too, and I watched that video from tonight as well, looking for the same exact thing. I don't think he practiced today, you know, Thursday as we're recording this, which to me would be the first time he's missed a Thursday practice all year, because I think even though he's missed early work, and maybe he's been limited in some situations on Thursdays, it did look to me like he was not participating, and neither was Travis Hunter, and normally those two guys do at least go through walkthroughs or participate in some capacity, on Thursdays, at least they have this season. So I'm kind of along your lines of thinking. I think they might, they might actually uh not play at least Shador, but we're gonna find out here. We certainly will. I obviously neither of us know. They said the last update that we have is Prime telling us on Tuesday that he's day-to-day and still not doing well. That yeah. to me was either, you know, him just being honest or him laying the groundwork that Shador would not play, which you know, you and I have had the conversation, and I'm sure we'll have it. You know we're just about to have it, but you know where I stand on this. I, I'm good with that. If he doesn't go on Saturday, it'd be a bit disappointing because it sounds like Utah's dealing with some injuries too. And maybe if he's in there, who knows? But um, I just, you know, I don't. When you when you weigh the risk reward here, I, I struggle to find the reward outweighing the risk. But I, I know you and I differ there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I can see both sides, we'll, we'll talk about that because that's the big question this week is. Um, I think probably should Shadur play, right? That's the question. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll, my opinion is if he feels good enough and wants to play, then you play him, in my yeah. opinion, because that's why these kids, that's why they're doing what they do, right? And right. Shadur has mentioned it. He's like, look, we go through a whole offseason to play football. And if he wants to play, I think he, you let him play. And I think the reward is that last Friday was such a, awful game for Colorado I, and to me it was their worst game of the year that was worse than Oregon you know mm-hmm. uh, because <laughs> that was a team you could have beat Washington State and so yeah. that was a horrible game and I think that there is an opportunity here if you play Shador, and who knows maybe with Ryan Staub or Gavin Cold, whoever but if you have a better performance or even win the game in, in Salt Lake I think you go into the offseason with a better feeling and it might even help attract some more some better transfers in the offseason i don't know that's my thought but then there's also the flip side which i know you you and others think of that if he's banged up a little bit why put him out there where where you're an injury and he's not available in 2024 so there's there's the both those sides to it right
1: yeah and it, i don't even think it's just as far as 2024 right i think it's just for spring ball too because i'm under the assumption and this is clearly me me assuming things that he's already going to have to have some sort of procedure Right, I mean, he's just so banged up. I'd be really surprised if he didn't at this stage, or at least some sort of physical therapy and rehab. The last thing that you want, if you bring in a new offensive coordinator to install a new scheme, whether or not you use a lot of the same concepts to build that relationship, you got to have him there, because otherwise, what are you really doing offensively, you know, I mean, It's not you don't have anyone in the building that can operate the offense well enough to actually generate some real work if you're trying to install, you know, a new way of doing things offensively. And him being there is so, so vital to that actually having any importance, because otherwise, I mean, you might as well just just do just do strength and conditioning and, you know, start teaching some online, some of the new schemes, because I mean, you're not really going to build much rhythm. If you've got Ryan Staub thrown to these kids and that's no disrespect to Ryan stop. It's just the, just the facts, Brian. So, you know, I think, I think where I'm at and I like what you said, right. If he's, if he's feeling good enough, but more than anything, if the doctors don't think he can do some further damage, but honestly, Brian, I just, I, I've been kind of weighing this question in my mind. Is it, is it, a dangerous spot to put him out there at all. And, you know, he was sacked. I know a couple of those were on him, certainly at the beginning of of the Washington state game, but four times in the first 10 snaps, their offensive line has just been so bad and he hasn't really, you know, I think in some situations recognized when to get rid of it and when, when the pressure's coming, because he's got to find a way to keep his eyes down the field to make some sort of play to move the ball down the field in my eyes, I just think we've gotten to the situation here now where, look, what is more important? And I think everything is still in front of them. And so if it were me, I wouldn't play him because I just don't think there's that much to be gained. I think you could just as easily tell a recruit, look, Shador was hurt. We shut him down. Whatever happened, happened. But at the other, at the other time, you know, at the other side of it, to go back to your point, what statement do you make to the rest of your team heading out here, you know, Thanksgiving weekend? If you're starting Ryan Staub or Gavin Cool, then, you know, some of these guys know that Shadur could play, right? Like, what does that say? Are you really saying that you're trying to go out there and win a football game? And yeah. Prime, after the game in Pullman, told us that he wants to win. So I'm going to assume that Shador is playing until we hear otherwise. It may be one of those situations where it's like, look, just take practice off all week. It's one game. You'll be fine. And, and, and maybe we have you on a short leash or, or he just calls it and I would actually be happy to see it because I just think it's the right thing to do. I do, but that's just me, you know?
0: Yeah. And I, I kind of had that same assumption. Like I assume he'll play until we hear otherwise until I saw the Thursday video and I was like, yeah, he didn't even practice on Thursday. Right. That probably leans me I, to me. It looks sort of like a situation that if they had five wins and bowl eligibility was still out there Agreed. They Had six wins, Maybe you push him harder, and you know he he tries harder to get get out there and play. When they're sitting there four and seven, and there's literally, you know, nothing to play for as far as like moving on past this game. Yeah, then yeah, there's there's less of that. And um, I do want to go back to you know a point you made about him, you know, holding on to the ball and some of those sacks on him. I totally agree with that. And I had a really good conversation with uh, Brock Osweiler a few weeks ago when he did the game, and I know lobster. Yeah, and Bob. people can say what they want about Brock Osweiler as a player. You know, I know he
1: Brock was is a, the nicest guy. He's he is the, the nice nicest guy. guy.
0: Yes, and you know, I know he wasn't you know a phenomenal player for the for the Broncos, but they wouldn't um, have the
1: Super Bowl without him. in Super Bowl that's 50. right.
0: And yeah, and he knows the quarterback position, right? And yeah. he he played with Peyton Manning, but he did you know his assessment of of Shadour, and I think it was spot on, was that he's obviously super talented, but he said he has to learn when the play is over. And he goes, that's what made, he goes, that's what Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees did for 20 years so they could play along as they knew when, when, all right, this play's done. Let me just move on to third down. (laughs) You know, know, or let's just just punt
1: here. What's so funny about that is when I was doing my post-game video after the Oregon game, I made the reference to Peyton Manning and I kind of laughed at myself while I was talking on the video because I'm like, look they are not the same player at all. But one of the things that Peyton did so well is he knew when to hold them and he knew when to fold them. right? You you gotta learn to live to fight another day and I think Shadour was fighting that lesson at the beginning of the year up until the interception in the first half of the USC game. It wasn't until the second half, Brian, of the USC Game that he threw a ball away for the first time all year. I mean, he he was going down to the bitter end, but he's definitely learned. I mean, you are going to take fifteen yard sacks all day and just kill everything. Even if you take a sack, you got to try and limit the damage as much you can. You know, so yeah, I, I love that point
0: by Brock. And and I thought a couple of those sacks last Friday were on him, where he didn't get rid of the ball enough, and hundred percent, you know. And it's 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 amazing um <laughs> when I've looked at the stats, like. Obviously, they're. I think Old Dominion might have more sacks uh, than Colorado, but Colorado's up there. But their sack yardage lost is by far the most in the country. And like the Buffs are losing like 10 yards a sack, whereas other teams are losing three, four, or five. You know, and it
1: it kills their drives, right? I mean, like Shador gets sacked on first down, and then you're going, oh, second and 20. You know, I, maybe I would have had more belief, you know, around CSU or Nebraska that they could don't you? Oh, you weren't there. But when college game day came in, I remember one of the key talking points that they had definitely gone over in their production meetings. Cause we got to interview Reese Davis and Desmond Howard. And I remember that was that whole mess of a day when you didn't get the time and that you weren't there, not by your own fault. Right. So (laughs) I don't want to be like, Hey, Brian didn't show up. You definitely (laughs) tried. Um, but one of the things that Pete Tamil, who covers you know national college football for SI and Reese Davis said, it was as if it was a, a bullet point on their production meeting. Colorado has a race third and long. That ain't happening anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's an unsustainable recipe as it was. And there were there was a few weeks ago where I went back and I looked at the TCU game just to, just to see like how do you score 45 points in that game? And then at the end of the year, how is that the starting point? And at the end of the year, look the way they've looked offensively. And I think a lot of it going back and looking on film is just the fact that TCU didn't know what to expect. Yeah. I think the whole first half they were playing like 10, 15 yards off coverage and they were kind of letting Colorado have everything underneath but you've seen that completely go away because teams have realized we're just going to press you at the line and pressure you and you're not going to have the time to get up and we're not going to get beat deep because you're not going to have the time to set it up
0: yeah and they've gone from erasing third and long to creating many of them that they can't get out of
1: (laughs) exactly exactly it's (laughs) quicksand back there now
0: yeah and, and it's crazy how many of those they've had and you know so many of them and it's, it's for so many various reasons uh, one is those sacks uh penalties. two is penalties i mean how many times have they had you know uh like a 4 yard run on first down or whatever a 4 yard play and it's uh-huh. second and 6 but then there's a false start and now you're in second 11 oh you know? it's brutal or you, or you, or you're in three you're in third and 1 but then there's a false start and now it's third and that's
1: third and 6
0: yeah you know and it's just i mean false start this might be True for all teams. I'm I'm only tracking the buffs, obviously. But false start is by far their most frequent penalty this year. And I'm looking at it right here, but um, I don't know how many penalties they have total, but 30 false starts. Their next you most what's common
1: surprising about that yeah. is it's really for the most part been the same group of guys. Like w- there has been a little rotation, but you talk about Reggie Young played a little bit. Yep. And then Kareem Harden. But outside of that, Jack Wilty played what? Like the first two games of the year and then never really played again? So. I wonder where the communication error is breaking down, right? Is some of that on Shadour? Because a quarterback has, you know, plays a very large role in the cadences and maybe the switching of offensive coordinators, but certainly, I mean, the discipline along the offensive line this year. The problem is they don't have any margin for error. So yeah. if you put yourself in in and I remember when Sean Payton took the job for the Broncos this offseason, he was on Chris Sims's podcast, like around the Super Bowl weekend with the Chiefs and Eagles of this last year. And I remember him saying that we want to take Russell off the high dive, meaning that we want to take him out of third and long. And one of the reasons why I've been so adamant all season long that CU has to find a way. And even if they feel like it's not working, commit to the ground game is because you can't constantly expect success. If Shador's is in third and 10, you know, because if yeah. there's two completions, you're in third and 10, third, and nine. And, and, you know, those, the, the, it's not that you can't convert. It's that your percentage for success just, decreases so drastically that that i would love to see them be able to capitalize but they just haven't found their sweet spot all year and hopefully the next oc can do so
0: yeah and i will say by the way it's 30 out of 100 penalties have been false starts which is insane is that
1: right yeah their
0: next most common penalty is nine are they still the
1: most penalized team in the country do you know
0: yes i believe they are they're yeah if they're not the most they're right there (laughs) but uh, speaking of the run game we'll say I love Savion Wilkerson's uh, press conference this week because he said exactly what I've been saying all year. When he's like, "Right, look, our rushing averages for running backs aren't that bad," and he he was saying himself and uh, Hankerson are, are four yards to carry. Wilkerson's not quite there, but um, the running backs are not that bad. And he kept and he was saying, you know, if we would have just run the ball more, we could have helped our quarterback. And I totally agree with him. I've been saying it all year long, and I don't know why they didn't do that. And um, I think that's one of the strangest things about this season is their usage of the running back. And, um and he's the epitome of that because he had 13 carries for 45 yards, which I know is not great. Um, That's not a great percentage, but he was the, the, the main ball carrier against TCU. And then all of a sudden he has 13 carries over the next, like nine games combined. <laughs> and then all right. of a sudden I'm trying to get the running game going again. The, these last two weeks, they're like, Oh, let's give it to Savion Wilkerson. And now, right. you know, now he's getting the ball a little bit more It's and it's working. It's like, Maybe you should have done that for most of the season. Right.
1: You know, it's interesting. It was like that they, it was almost as if they tried every other option and tried Dylan Edwards and tried Hankerson. And then they started using Hankerson, a lot of those swing passes. And some of those he slipped and fell, but some of them he got some bad balls from Shador on some of those short little outlet passes. But then they just went away from him. Like he's been great all year, and then they just went away from him, and then it was like they went back to the security blanket in what they knew best, and Savion Wilkerson. And Wilkerson's just a lunch pail and hard hat guy. You know, he's not gonna bust a home run on you, but he's also you know, gonna fight for an extra yard if he has the opportunity to do so. And I agree with you. I loved it. Was honestly, I walked away from our last media weekly media availability probably more refreshed after any player interview i have all year because it felt like it felt vindicated i felt like vindicated and justified because it's like okay these guys are clearly dealing with some of the same frustrations too it does have to be frustrating for a guy like that right like if you're evaluating whether or not to come back how do you know how much they're going to commit to run the ball next year right. and honestly after the game you know insult like depending upon things how things go knowing that that's the last time we're going to talk to Prime for a long time. One of the questions that I plan on asking him is just, what is their what is their goal next year as far as committing to the running game? And, and, and how much of an emphasis are they going to put into that? Because it held them back in a huge way. And I think at the beginning of the year, as you mentioned, he was in denial about it a little bit because they'd gotten away with it in the past. But it caught up to them in a real way. You can't win at the Power 5 level if you don't run the football, especially not in a Big 12. Right. Like in the Pac-12, you need to be able to run the football in the big 12. You really need to be able to run the football. So, yeah, I, we'll see how it plays out. But next, moving into next year, I mean, that wraps into the O-line coach and the new O.C., but that is definitely, you know, my
0: number one priority. Yeah. And one quick note on the on the run is that you mentioned Hankerson. It was interesting because I remember uh, one week, I think it was the Stanford week I, that I, I think I asked him about. Uh, um, oh, my gosh. Alt McCaskill. Uh, and why he wasn't playing as much and and you know prime said well you know we have so many guys that are so talented and you know anthony hankerson's doing so great that uh you know we can't get him off the field and literally that week alt mccaskill started and hankerson has barely touched the ball since then
1: well started (laughs) and we we started you know played one series right wasn't that correct yeah Yeah. but but, (laughs)
0: but but more the point is that you know he's sitting there talking about how well, Hankerson's been so great that it's hard to get off the field. And then literally from that point on, Hankerson's barely touched the ball. It's like, well, is he great or not? I don't know what's
1: been more confusing, the running game or the substitution patterns. I really don't. And and I wonder, you know, we kind of had this conversation a week ago. But I do wonder what that what kind of impact that that's going to have on some of these fringe guys, you know, who are maybe deciding whether or not they want to go somewhere for a fit, because, you know, I could see if I were a player just trying to put myself in their shoes as somebody like, a, you know, I think the, the reference was Tarbarish Dawson, like somebody like that. Right. Like, OK, so do I want to I already used up my undergrad transfer. Do I want to go somewhere and probably have to sit a year Or do I want to stay here and not really know what I can depend upon? You know, because I feel like so many of the decisions this year have been based upon what they've seen at practice. And I feel like, and and I, I would hope Brian, that behind the scenes prime communicates with players, his reasoning behind his decisions and, and accompanies that with the requisite coaching, because if you're a player that is just having your playing time constantly moved around and you don't know why it's hard to get better. And I feel like you start to develop somewhat of a distrust with the coaching staff. And I know prime cares about these kids and that's not what I'm saying. I just hope that he communicates with them clearly because I feel like there could be a lot of confusion if you were somebody that was just in between, you know, look, I'd stay here if there was a chance for me to earn playing time. But I think you'd kind of have to be naive to be any player on this roster and think that your position is really safe right now.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, Dawson's interesting because you and I have wondered, like, where in the world is has that guy gone? There was a brief snippet on one of the videos this week where he's yeah, in a yellow that. jersey and he mentioned and he said, well, I'm back. You know, so right, he, he he's cool must've gotten hurt, but, and he's a guy, I know you choose him as an example, but he's a guy that I've got to think looks at this and says, there's an opportunity this next year because Xavier Weaver and Javon Antonio are graduating. So there's some opportunity there, but they're, you're right.
1: They're going to bring in. Right. I think that's kind
0: of my other point is like, you kind of
1: have to be on your toes. I don't think, I mean, outside of a couple of guys, I don't know how many positions, like if you didn't offer an upgrade, wouldn't immediately be, you know, reached at by the coaching staff.
0: Yeah. And uh, it's been weird. There's so many guys that came here that, you know, I know I talked to, you know, those transfers that are like, hey, this is a golden opportunity for me. And then they didn't play at all. You know, so right. Um, right. you you have to wonder. Um, honestly, this is a this is probably a, a, a bigger topic. We could get into this on another podcast in the offseason. Right. But like, um, I think, well, can need-
1: I say one thing to finish yeah. that up that I just thought of? It just came to me. The, the only reason that I think that matters is because you have to build quality depth at some point. And obviously it's very challenging in the transfer portal, but that is because look at Utah, right? I mean, Utah's 23 and a half point favorites and they got half their starting lineup is out. Like at a certain point, if you want to compete on a consistent basis and win year in, year out, you do have to find a way to build depth and kind of treating those guys as like, you know, completely replaceable. We'll see if that doesn't have a detrimental impact, but we wouldn't begin to know the answer to that. That just occurred to me. So another thing to think about.
0: Yeah. And and I was just going to make the point that, I mean, I think one of the things they need to target is, you know, and it's hard. It's easier said than done, but experienced power five transfers. They got so many power five transfers that had never played. Mm. uh, And then they come here and they didn't play, you know? Um, And I'm not, I'm not trying to drag guys down, but like, a guy like Savelle Smalls or Des Moines Kennedy, guys like that that didn't play at their previous Jaylen school Ellis. either. Jalen Ellis. You know, there's so many guys that weren't playing at their previous school, came here for a chance, they didn't play here either. So right. like, Smoke, who's a yeah. pro,
1: by the way, apparently.
0: Right, and that's a weird one because he did play at his previous school and then he couldn't play here. So mm-hmm. um, the, it's interesting. But he's so, a pro. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll, I'll be interested to see what type of transfer they get this offseason, but we he could – We could certainly, uh, you know, do that for another podcast. But let's, uh, Pat and I always do, uh, you know, game preview. We haven't talked a whole lot about this particular game. Like we said, it's a weird one to project. But that's a weird um, one,
1: man. Let
0: Let's uh, let's give our predictions. And um, you know, Pat did, uh, although he can't, uh, he couldn't join me. um, We've done prediction predictions all year, so I'm going to read, you know, Pat's projections.
1: And then, good, uh, please do and then we can go.
0: Yeah. That's and good. then we can go. So um, he and I, Adam and I did this on our video this week too, but uh, two projections here. One, if Shador plays one, if he doesn't play. And so for Pat, okay, I like that. I like that. Uh, for Pat, it's uh, both of them are Utah winning 34, 17. If Shador plays 42 to seven, if he does not play. And I'm sort of similar to that. I've got 37 to 20. If he does play and 42 to 10, if he doesn't play. So I just think it's way different if he doesn't play, right? Uh, even, oh, yeah. even, even a hobbled Shador yeah. is, I think, and again, no knock on these other quarterbacks, but we saw it last week. There's yeah. a massive difference, right? <laughs> yeah. I would rather have a hobbled Shador than well, the other guys they have right now. So what do you got?
1: Um, yeah, I was just thinking back. To be honest with you, I've covered a lot of different sporting events in my life. There has never been more humiliating laughter from just everybody in the press box that I've ever experienced than what we what we experienced in Pullman last weekend after Shador went out because it was hard to watch, Brian. It was yeah. hard to watch. Like it was like people couldn't help. And it was just like it was so awkward. And unfortunately, you're right. It's a completely different game if Shador doesn't play. Even Deion Sanders Jr. in one of the well-off media videos was giving Gavin Cole a hard time for that throw. And right. he asked him what he was doing he, when he picked the ball back up. And he goes, honestly, I didn't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was trying to throw it out of bounds. And he said he was trying to throw it out of bounds. And he really missed if he was trying to throw it out of bounds. So, yeah, it's going to be a different game. I like what what you and Pat and Adam are thinking there. If if Shadur doesn't play, honestly, I'll be surprised if they score a touchdown if he doesn't play. I will. I, I would say no more than like six points if he doesn't play i mean what i i would love to say differently than that but unless there's some like defensive score pick six fumble scoop and score you know punt return for touchdown something like that offensive touchdowns are going to be really hard to come by if he doesn't play so i would probably say you know the 42 numbers interesting it seems like teams have kind of gotten to 40 on the buffs when they've gotten blown out like oregon and wazoo and they kind of Took the you know pedal off the gas. At least they tried to, and then they eventually scored some more. So I like forty-five-six if he doesn't play, and if he does play, Brian, I don't know, man. Like how many plays does he play before he gets hurt? It's kind of my mentality here. Right. Um, I'll say if he plays in the spirit, and uh, I can't ignore my eyes. I mean, every time I've been out to Salt Lake, he's has got just gotten killed. So I'll go if he plays 45-7 17.
0: And I will say this: he'll, he'll
1: lose. He'll 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 leave the game. Is <laughs> kind of where I'm at.
0: If Shador plays the entire game and it is Luke Batari for Utah, yeah, I think that score good. could be much closer.
1: I agree. Maybe there's a chance, but you know, you're you also have to have your defense step up because, despite the fact that they're missing two of their better running backs, they have two really good running backs. You know, in in the kid, what is it, Simone Vaki, and that yeah. his name, something like that. He's the safety that plays both ways. He's a hell of a player. And then and they get then they got that and then they have another kid, number six I can't remember his name I'll I'll learn it by Saturday for sure but they got a couple of backs who can really run and Colorado's gotten gashed with some chunk plays in the last few games like even though they scored thirty one against Arizona they gave up some huge plays in the running game what did that kid have like eleven carries for one hundred and seventy nine yards in that game yeah it was it was something most, like that yeah that was crazy It was the biggest yard per carry rush average I've seen in a while so. <laughs> I wish I wish I could have more hope at this point in the season, but I can't ignore everything, first of all, based upon series history, location, and just where they're at right now. They're just not in a great place, you know, and, and maybe to be expected at the end of year one, just disappointing that it had to end, you know, this way.
0: Yeah, and honestly, it's the last game of the year, and I think it's, for me, the first one the only one this year that I I go into it thinking they don't really have a shot, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I uh, agree. I agree. Even, even even Oregon, you know, they were, they were ranked and you think they're rolling and you're thinking, man, if they can get something going here, maybe they can beat them. Uh, But this is really the only game I've thought they don't have a shot. And yeah, Um, and most of that is because at this point watching the Thursday video, it doesn't look like Shador is going to play. And so, um, if he doesn't play, I give them zero shot. And so, yeah, (laughs) um, I agree. I agree. And even if he
1: does play, I mean, he's been under so much pressure. It's just, it's hard to watch at this point. I'm kind of, I've kind of gotten there. Like I, I don't want to see him get hit too many more times. I kind of just feel bad for him now.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we thought we were done with the 2022 buffs, but we saw it last week, and I hope we, we, don't, I don't, I hope we don't see it too bad uh, this next week. But, uh, Matt, thank you very much for uh, for joining me, and course, I, you're in Salt Lake already. I will see you there on Saturday, and, uh, you know, we'll
1: travel. I, I, I promise you, I picked a better time to fly out. The airport was a ghost town. It was yeah. awesome when I was flying out today, so hopefully you don't get hit too hard with any craziness in the morning.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping that there's not too much snow on the ground to get out. So we're going to find big, out. Good but point. but uh, yeah, hopefully I'll see you on Saturday.
1: One way or another, I'll, I'll see you on Saturday. I'm sure you'll make it. Planes, trains, and automobiles.
0: That's right. I'll get out there somehow. So exactly. thank, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you in a few days.